One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Amos 9.11. Amos 9.11 is a powerful verse because it talks about that in the last days, God said he would raise up again the tabernacle of David. One of the things that God has called us to do as the church of Jesus Christ in this hour, God is raising up again the tabernacle of David. If we don't understand that, then we really miss what the church is being designed for in this hour. The church of Jesus Christ was designed to bring the power, the presence, and the principles of another kingdom. The power of another kingdom. Jesus made it clear through his own example and through the teachings of Paul in the early church that he did not come with fine-sounding words, but demonstration of the power of God that your faith might rest in God, not in men. So the church is built on power. There must be a power encounter in church. There must be a revelation of the power of God. There is another kingdom that we operate out of. If there is no power manifested in the midst of our teaching and preaching, then there is no witness of another kingdom. It is the power of another kingdom that causes the nations of this world to tremble. It is the power of another kingdom that makes kings bow down and presidents weep. It is the power of another kingdom that causes nations to acknowledge there is a God high and lifted up and he sits upon his throne. He is real and his power reaches from eternity into the lives of men. Power is in the church. The church cannot be powerless. We are powerful. From the moment you received Jesus, you became powerful, full of power. You're not empty. You're not lacking. You're not trying to survive. You're not trying to figure out how to get rid of that devil and this devil and just make it through the day. But you have liquid love inside your heart. You've got power inside your belly. You've got a river on the inside. Every time you wake up, heaven is moving around you. Angels are answering the cries of those that turn unto the Lord. So I don't know what's in you, but there's power in the church. So just look at somebody and say, power. Yeah, you got power. Whether you use it or not is up to you, but you got power. Whether you act like it or not is up to you, but you got power. Whether you live like it or not is up to you, but there's power in the inside of you. The most amazing thing is that most of the people who have encountered Jesus spend their time acting like they're looking for something they've already received. We can tell by your prayers, by your worship, by how you live. We can tell what level you believe you've received. Because those that know they've received them, I don't want to just quote those who are around today. May I just talk about a few who've gone on before us. Spurgeon said, I have as much of Jesus in me as Jesus had in him. Or the gospel is a lie. Mm. Let's just walk a little bit further. Wigglesworth said, if I do not have the same Holy Ghost that Jesus had, then the book of Acts is a lie to all men. So I am either received the fullness or I've been lied to the greatest. That's what the man said. Well, John G. Lake said, I am as much a son of God as Jesus as Jesus ever was or Calvary is a lie. That's what he said. So somewhere you have to figure out what you believe. Most of us are walking old and talking new. We're talking kingdom language. We're talking redemption. We're talking transformation, but we're still walking like we have Old Testament mindsets. We're still walking around like we believe we're lost, broke, messed up. The whole world is against us and the devil is winning. And so we're just hoping somewhere Jesus rescue us from us. 
But if that's your belief system, then you've already taken Jesus off the cross and crucified him afresh every other day. Because either he died to give you victory or he did not give victory at all. Now, I don't know if you're ready for me on a Sunday morning, but <laughs> this is what you're getting today. So we've got to figure out in our mindset what we believe because to comfort ourselves with less than does not produce strength. We give ourselves less than the fullness of the gospel so we can explain away our inconsistencies and keep hold of our insecurities. So we keep making the gospel smaller than it really is and we make our trouble bigger than it really was so we can live in the mediocrity we become accustomed to. But somewhere in the middle of your life, you've got to have a face-to-face encounter with the power of God and recognize if he is who he said he is, then I want all of him. I want the fullness of his kingdom. I want the thickness of his oil. I want the greatness of his glory. I want to walk like he said I could walk till I can't walk no more. I want it all or I want none of it. Oh, yeah, Lord, give me power. So he said there's power. The second thing about this kingdom is there must be presence. Power is different than presence. You can have the presence of God continually around you but never tap into the power. Because the power means you must believe what he has done in you. Presence is I believe who he is. Many of us are convinced of who he is but we've never agreed with what he said about us. So the power is not manifested. He said this power will be in you if you believe. These signs will follow you if you believe. So the power is connected to your belief system about the inward working of the kingdom in you. So many of us touch presence every time we get in worship. We touch presence when we open the word. We touch presence when someone else is preaching or teaching. The presence comes upon us. Why? Because presence is about him, he himself. It is when we talk about him, his presence fills the room. When I meditate upon him, his presence comes through his word. When I sing the songs of Zion, his presence rests upon me in the worship. When I lift up holy hands, his presence floods the room because he fills the praises. He responds to any magnification of himself by causing the tangibility of his presence. So you can encounter his presence, but not live in his power. Many of us have become so accustomed to thinking his presence was his power that we get touched but never changed. Ah. So we keep coming in and having encounters with his presence and go, look at how God touched me. No, that was him in the room. If anybody jumps in the ocean, they get wet. But if you open your mouth to swallow the ocean, that's when it changes your inward parts. You've got to swallow. You've got to digest. You've got to take it on the inside. You've got to let what he said about you become your new nature on the inward man. You've got to say, I'm not just saved. I am who he says I am and I can do what he says I can do. I'm not just blessed, but I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm not just free, but I can cast out devils. I'm not just healed, but I shall lay hands on the sick. He's not just with me, but he dwells in me. It must be a transformation process where you acknowledge who he is outwardly is now what he has produced inwardly. Oh, I wonder, are there any saints in the room who recognize you are not who you used to be? 
Yes, there was an old song we used to sing, something on the outside, something on the inside, working on the outside, brought about a change in my life. We used to sing that because there is a constant recognition that once the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, what he does is he is an inside-out worker. He's an inside-out worker. Now, if you are confused, what that means is because you haven't seen your outward line up yet with your inward, you have doubted your inward transformation. What happens to most believers is because your outside doesn't look like you think it should look yet. You let the enemy convince you that you haven't changed. So you start living in shame and regret. Then you start believing the lie that the enemy has told you that you haven't changed and you become a critic or the Bible calls it an accuser. When you start accusing yourself and everyone else based on the outward information you see rather than the inward truth God has revealed, you have joined the league of the liar. You are letting your tongue destroy yourself and everyone around you because you're willing to believe what you witness rather than what God has revealed. Once God has revealed the new nature of who you are, you have to agree to believe that regardless of the information you give yourself. What does that mean? If God said you're new, even when you have a day and you act old, don't spend three days repenting for acting old. Because those three days you're stuck in your mind feeling like you lost and you messed up, you're giving the enemy time to hold you hostage. Because in an instant, once you realize you messed up, say, Lord, I'm sorry. Boom. Now move on. Because God only asked you to repent. He didn't ask you to feel bad. Oh. <laughs> yes. See, man needs you to feel bad because religion needs you to suffer so that it can build a history against you. Relationship needs you to return so that it can restore the joy of the relationship. So relationship doesn't want you to suffer. Relationship says the moment you say, I'm sorry, come back home. Why? Because I love you too much to lose three more days of you crying. We've lost enough time. Come on back home. So for everybody in this room who you let your past hold you hostage, when we come in, we have to spend 30 minutes getting past how we felt this week and 45 minutes getting past our issues. And when we meet for a prayer meeting, we can't pray for the first 20 minutes because everybody's got to pray about what they did wrong. And, and I said something on the way to prayer and I'm so, can we pray about this? And we can't get to laying hands on people until we spend 15 minutes with everybody clearing their heart out. That's old remedy thinking. What that means is you still think you're outside the court and you got to get back in. But he didn't put you outside the court. So if he didn't put you out, then he not putting you back in. So how do you get back in? Turn. The moment you repent, turn, you back. The moment you say, I'm sorry, you back. The moment you repent, you're back. He doesn't make you get back. Why? Because he didn't take it from you. God only makes you get it back if he took it. But since he didn't take it, he says, the moment you repent, you are restored. 
it is the Old Testament thinking that says David's mentality was because I messed up with God, I got to spend three days getting it right. Moses said, I messed up. I got to get back. Jesus didn't say any of that. We got to be careful that we don't make Old Testament thinking New Testament theology. Because a lot of what we're saying was before the cross. And Jesus was talking to people who wasn't yet born again. So what did he say to those who were born again? Well, you got to look at what Paul said. Paul comes along and makes it clear. He said, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Because even while you're doing all this, you still God's church. Ah, Corinthians, I hear y'all messed up and acting crazy, but the gifts are still working among you. New Testament is God said, I'm not taking anything from you because I, I did not separate myself from you. You separated yourself from me. So since you left, I'm still where you left me. Just come home. That's why in the New Testament, repentance is so much easier than the Old Testament because in the old, he demanded a sacrifice. In the new, he just demands a return. Ah, this is good already. I'm going to have to calm down. See, I'm about to have a Wednesday night, Debbie. I'm about to take off. I'm about to, I got to remember it's Sunday. I got to act right. Yes, Lord. He says, I'm going to build again the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is the place where God causes there to be an expression and explosion of continual worship. So we have the power of God. We have the presence of God. But I also said we have the principles. Why is that important? You build your life on principles. You can only operate in God's presence based on principles. What does that mean? God does not respond to you. He responds to his principles. So whatever God does, he does it based on his own principles. So God says, I don't play favorites. Whoever will choose my principles and walk in my principles will open up the keys, the glory, the blessings that are attained to those scriptures, those promises. It's not personal. Whoever will operate in the principle. That's why you have people who go to church all the time and they know all the scriptures, but they'll pray and pray and nothing ever happens. And you have someone who just comes into the house of God and they barely save and they cry out to God and boom, everything explodes and glory hits their life. What's the difference? In one person's life, they are trying to operate in the blessings, but they won't obey the principles. They're trying to be religiously on point. They're trying to map out all the right stuff. They're trying to prove to God they deserve it. So I sing on time. I pray on time. I show up on time. That's still a religious mindset. You have someone who just came in and all they heard was, if you'll give God your whole heart, he'll bless you. So the only principle they know is surrender. So you have people who don't know enough scripture to be blessed. But the one scripture they know they're faithful to, principle, principle. They obey what they do know. The key is to obey what you do know. Many of us are trying to find out how to get all these blessings from God. And God said, it's not 50 steps and 15 books and 18 conferences. Obey what you do know. Keep it simple. Live in the principle. What is the principle? If the Lord says to you, your heart's not right, get it right, then don't argue. Don't figure out how to defend yourself. Go apologize to everybody and anybody that God puts in front of you because the principle he's working on at that moment is clean heart will produce great glory. So if God says there's an issue, there's an issue. Even if you don't think there's an issue, obey the principle. 
if you are seeing there's financial trouble in your life and you can't get a breakthrough, even if you don't believe in tithing, you ought to try tithing. Why? Because everybody around you is being blessed. So if you're the only one broke and you're the only one don't tithe, maybe you wrong. (laughs) Obey the principle. The principle. What are the principles? The principles are simple. He said, love the Lord your God. Then he goes on to the next one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, if you do these two things, you fulfill the law. So what's real simple? God says, if you'll abide in love toward him and love toward people, any way that he shows you you're not operating in love, if you'll obey the principle and fix that love connection, the glory starts flowing again. Fix the love connection. Don't make it difficult. We searched these 28 reasons in our life why something is going wrong and 15 spirits and 19 devils and 18. And God is going, what you doing? All I asked you to do is keep your love right. Keep your love right. So what does that mean? Before you start blaming devils, check your love. I don't know. Is this making sense to anybody? Is this helping anybody? Okay. Because it's real simple. Why? I've spent my life living in the spirit. This is not something that I started a few weeks ago. I didn't do this a few, few months ago and decide I'm going to write a book about being great. <laughs> I've been living this way a long time. And in this whole life of walking with God, the one thing I found is simple. Whenever the power of God is not flowing as I thought it should, every time it was a love connection. The Lord either said to me, in this place, you're not loving me rightly, or in that place, you're not loving people rightly. And if you fix your love connection, the glory shows up. Why? Because faith works by love. Mm. So in this tabernacle that God is building, in this place that God is building, in this church that God has designed, God says everything that in, is in the church will operate, work, and manifest on the foundation of love. So when our love is off, the power is off. I'm going to say something real quick and then I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done, y'all. I told you, we're not going to be long this morning. When we understand something in 1 Corinthians, when it talks about love in our love chapter, 1 Corinthians, one of my favorite chapters when it goes through the whole chapter of love, there are 16 descriptions of love, 16 things that love is, 16. When you study your word and you understand that there are strong men in scripture for those who are studying the enemy and want to understand the demonic or how to conquer the demonic, there are 16 strong men in scripture. Only 16. So all these other names that people are coming up with, these are sub names. These are not the actual names. So you're looking for names of stuff that aren't even important. That's a whole nother teaching later on. That's a whole nother teaching. There are only 16 strong men in scripture. Every other demonic power falls under one of those 16. 16 revelations of how the enemy works. There are 16 ways that love manifests. There are 16 Jehovah hyphenated names. What does that mean? For every strong man that is in scripture, there is a name of God 
that stops the strong man in his tracks. But the way to unlock the name is you got to operate in love. 16 measures of love, 16 names of God, 16 strong men. God said for every devil that would rise up, I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a stone. I'm going to give you a sword. And why? Because if the righteous call out my name, the righteous run in and are safe. So you hide in the name of God. But the way you hide in the name of God is by the love of God. And the love of God has made us conquerors. So if you abide in love, the name works. If the name works, the enemy can't conquer. If the enemy can't conquer, the stronghold has been taken down. So we're binding stuff you don't need to bind. You just got to live in his name. But you can't live in his name if you won't walk in his love. So this ain't difficult. It takes a lot of teaching to make this messy. <laughs> you got to read a whole lot of books to come up with a whole lot of teaching that makes the Bible not work for you. Because the New Testament was built on people who were serving other idols and suddenly had the power of the Holy Ghost and built the church in a hundred years. How in the world did they do it? without going to all the classes and seminars that we now have to go to. How did they do it? How did they tear down cities and build up kingdoms and bring the glory of God? And nobody took them through 30 days of deliverance. How did they do it? How did they do it? And nobody dealt with their great grandmama's issues. And how in the world did they shake the kingdoms? Because it takes a lot of people to convince you you're not free. Paul said, I need you to understand. He said, all those who keep taking you back into the bondages of the past, he said, they are lying to you. He said, because you are free. He said, now the key is not that you need to now be free from devils. He said, you got to be free from your flesh. He said, because what's lying to you now is the devil was cast out, but your flesh liked who you used to be. So now you got to retrain your flesh. Most of us don't need freedom from a devil. You just need to master your flesh. And because we don't want to master our flesh, we like blaming devils. Because it's easier to blame a devil for my dysfunction than to admit I like being mean. <laughs> Oh, all right. Let me move on. Let me move on. Is this all right this morning? Is this all right? All right. As amen. As God, <laughs> as God is building this magnificent tabernacle, he's building us to be free. He's building us to be strong. He's building us to be a people who exhibit the kingdom of God wherever we go. So one of my favorite verses, I'm gonna give you these last verses. And then we're gonna be, we're gonna be out of here by noon. I like this. Uh, before that, actually. When we talk about the tabernacle of David, many times people say, what does that refer to? I love this definition. The tabernacle of David was a new order of worship. It was the new order of worship in Israel where they were carrying the presence of God like they had never carried his presence before. The worship of God in Israel had taken on this form of People coming into tents until David got everyone in one place. When David pulled everyone into one place, he centralized the worship. He brought an order to the worship and he brought a flow. 
So when God says the tabernacle of David, God is referring to the fact that there is going to be a group of people who come together in his presence, who will understand his order, his flow, and his function. Until that point, God was moving around. They would move with the cloud. You would go and worship God in the cities, but you might also worship him up on a hill if that's where the prophets would gather. You went where the presence of God was. When David comes along, there's a centralization. It is now the announcement when God says he will restore again the tabernacle of David. He's saying there will be a centralized place where my presence will be thick and resident and continual. It is so that there will be a hope among the people that if they can ever get to where God gathers, there is a transformation that will take place. It was a hope in the heart of the nation because they understood when there was this gathering through the time of David. Imagine if you would that when David first begins this project of gathering people to worship and this had never existed before. David begins to gather the worshipers and he says to the Levites, come now and sing you the songs of God. And suddenly in one place at one time, it goes from being a thousand to ten thousand to over a hundred thousand singers at one time, all together singing. And David says, it's not enough to sing God songs in morning and at afternoon and evening. And even in the middle of the night, he said, let's sing songs all day. And it is the first time we understand that there is a continual worship. David institutes and ignites 24-hour worship. Why, why, why? David understood wherever God's praise was rich and lifted up, victory was always seen. Wherever the sound of God's praise was heard, God would show up and sit in the middle of the praise because God dwells in the midst of the praises of his people. So David began to meditate and understand that if God lives in the praise, the more praise we give him, the more thickness of his presence we get. The thicker his presence get, the greater our victory. The greater our victory, the longer our reach. The longer our reach, the more our dominion. The more our dominion, the greater his kingdom. The greater his kingdom, the more we will worship. The more we will worship, the greater his glory. The greater his glory, the longer the reach. The longer the reach, the greater the dominion. So David began to equate continual worship with dominion. David begins to tie two things together. That when he was a shepherd boy alone, taking care of sheep, in the midst of bears and lions, in the midst of brothers hating him, in the midst of his father not claiming him before the prophet, in the midst of his own mother never being named because we don't even know if she was a woman of good repute. In the midst of all of this that David went through, his worship was the only stable thing about him. And the stability of his worship gave him a stability of strength. He began to live stable in unstable times. So when his brother said, we know your heart is wicked and there's no good in you, David said, I'm not even responding to you. Tell me where the giant is. And when they said to him, little boy, you can't conquer this giant. You need to wear this armor. He said, I killed a lion before I met you and a bear I slew with my own hands. Show me where the giant is. 
And when they were throwing javelins by his head and us, we would have run away and said, they don't like me. And the leader I'm serving doesn't like me. And the people I love won't respond to me with a javelin going by his head. David got on his string instrument and began to play. And the devils that was on his leader subsided to his dominion and sat down underneath him. David learned that in the worship, he was undefeatable. Because dominion is unlocked in worship. This tabernacle of David is not a little thing. This tabernacle of David that God said he wanted to restore in Amos 9:11, he's saying, I want to put upon the church a level of dominion and authority that should be upon them all their days. That the church should not just be a place where we gather and talk about our problems. It should be a place where we gather and execute dominion where we see the glory of God touch cities and change nations, where in the midst of worship we release decrees and God changes cities while we're declaring here God is changing the course of nations there while we're worshiping before the Lord here. I remember a worship service. In the middle of worship, we had been praying and worshiping for three days, nonstop for three days. We had asked everyone bring pictures of people who need miracles. Not just are we going to pray for the people, bring pictures. There's about 250 people who had showed up. We were down in Santa Ana, phenomenal service. People brought pictures. On the last day, we said, lay the pictures out on the altar. And people began to dance and worship in the presence of God all around the pictures. While we're worshiping, we just began to declare, God, the same glory in this place. Now upon all those we're believing for Touch them now. Touch them now. As God is our witness, people's phones began to ring. In the service, not after, not in the parking lot, in the service, people began to come down. And I remember Isaac L. Patrick, he was a superintendent for the Church of God in Christ. I was ministering for him that night. He took his phone. He said, come up and testify. People began to come down and testify as we are worshiping around the pictures on the altar. Why? Because your worship is spiritual. It's not local. Ah. I'm going to walk this thing for a minute. Your worship, because it's supernatural, because it's spiritual, everything you do in the spirit realm is not local. It can be anywhere at any time because it is spiritual. So when I sing a praise here, God can use my praise 10,000 miles. When I'm worshiping God here, he can use my worship to touch somebody in the hospital over here. When I'm praying in my bedroom, God can heal somebody all the way back on the other side of the country because my presence is local, but my spirit connects to him and it is anywhere he wants to move. You are not hemmed in by locality, only by the level of your faith. While we're worshiping, the phones began to ring. <laughs> we began to, they began to answer the phones and come down and testify on the mic. A young man in the house that night, while we were worshiping, he began to shake in a chair and began to scream. And God began to pull devils out of him. And he got completely delivered and he was calling his mama and he said, mama, where are you and what are y'all doing? 
because I felt the Lord deliver me for the first time in eight years. Another lady's phone rang and her daughter called and said, Mama, I'm knocking on your door. For three years, they couldn't find the girl. For three years, they thought she'd been murdered. For three years, she was in crack houses getting high. For three years, didn't know where she was. And in the middle of worship, around the altar, God made that girl walk to her mama's house and knock on the door. She said, I'm outside your house. Where are you? She said, I'm standing at the altar with your picture in my hand, asking God, bring her home, bring her home. I don't know what you believe the church can be, but I believe it is an engine of supernatural transformation. I believe it is the fire that God uses to burn cities and bring revival. I believe it is the place where God catches prayers and sends them up to bring transition. And if we come together with faith that the church is not just for us, it is for him. Then when we gather, something has to happen. Something supernatural must take place. Nations change, generations shake, people are delivered when we gather in his name. He said, I will raise up again the tabernacle of David in those days. In his presence, in his presence, in his presence. What would happen? What would happen? I'm just about done. What would happen if we ever just had one hour where everybody had decided before they got here I'm going all in I'm going to worship God just for an hour like my worship could unlock my children's future I'm going to worship God for an hour like my like, not about me like God's going to catch my worship And on behalf of those that don't know him, let my worship stand in the gap for them. What would happen if you just made up your mind? Today is the day. I'm going to give God a sacrifice of praise. See, for most people, when we talk about worship and praise, we often feel like people are trying to get us to a place. It's not a certain reaction I'm trying to get you to. I want to get you to the place where you have a decision in your head that every time you enter into worship, whether in this place or in your car, whether on your job or in your house, you have determined in your mind, I am not stopping till there is a divine exchange. For like David, I understand worship unlocks dominion. And I am going to see God do what I know he will do. People often say, well, if God is God, why does he wait for us? Because that is his decision. God decided when he wanted us to be like him that he was creating a divine partnership. So God says faith without works is dead. Mm. 
God makes it clear that in his eyes, any faith that does not have some action to it is in his mind dead. It is not living. It is not effectual. It has no breath in it. It has no ability to move. It cannot carry anything nor receive anything. It is limp, dead, and unuseful. God says if you are living by faith but you will never put action to your faith, then your faith is still on an incubator. Your faith is still trying to catch its breath. Your faith has never walked and produced anything. God says faith cannot be called faith until it moves, until it speaks, until it touches. The Bible says Jesus seeing their faith, Jesus hearing their faith, Jesus knowing their faith. Faith can be seen, faith can be felt, faith can be heard. If faith does not move, it is not alive. Your worship is not alive until you mix your faith into it. So my question is, even this morning when you worship, did you mix any faith into that? <laughs> oh, I'm just asking. There is no accusation. I'm just asking a question. Did you mix any faith? Did it require any faith? Because if you didn't have to mix faith into your worship, then it wasn't worship. If you don't have to mix faith into it, what does that mean? If it didn't require you to stop long enough to decide to believe, then it was simply an action of a religious pursuit. It was not alive. When you step in front of God to worship him, to read the word, you have to slow yourself down and choose to believe. Many of us start quoting scripture, but we don't slow our mind down and say, wait a minute. Do I really believe what I'm saying or am I just saying it because I should? You got to slow yourself down. Take a breath and go, I believe. When you get ready to praise God, slow yourself down. Don't just hallelujah and get caught. Wait a minute. Do I believe that he's worthy? Yes, I do. Do I believe that he's awesome? Yes, I do. Do I believe there's no God like him? Yes, I do. Then he's worthy. Then hallelujah. It's a different. It rises from a different place because I'm convinced of what I'm giving him now. I'm not just worshiping because the song is up on the screen. I'm worshiping because when I open my eyes this morning, I realize it is the great God Almighty who lives and controls the universe, who calls breath to assemble in my lungs this morning. It is God Almighty, the wisdom of the ages that made the synapses of my brain fire on time so that I can even think to put my legs over the side of my bed and flick on the light switch. It is God who designed the etches of the galaxy, who made the stars to burn and the galaxies to form. It is him who made the very blood vessels come together in my legs so I can stand up this morning and say you're worthy so when I stand to worship it's not an accident I have put my whole being into this because I recognize if he didn't let me wake up I couldn't bless him so because he chose to wake me up you're worthy and I bless your name you have to make a choice because if you don't choose to connect you're already disconnected. You got to choose to connect. Or we come in and we do what we've always done. 
and nothing ever changes. So put your faith in it. Put your faith in it. If you're going to do it, put your faith in it. Yeah. Every now and then you got to lean into your faith. You got to lean into your worship. You got to lean into him. You got to recognize he is good and understand that he is worthy. I tell you this, uh, then I'm, I'm going to be finished. This is my fourth and final closing. <laughs> Debbie, you understand something because I've seen it on your life so many times. That worship cannot really become worship and faith doesn't become faith till you get free from people. There is a freedom you have to have where you stop caring what people think. So many of us are bound by the fear of man that when it's time to believe God for the extraordinary, we can't step out into the impossible because we begin to weigh in our mind, what will they think? What will they say if I say that? If I break loose and praise right now, what will everybody say about me? Well, it ain't for them. And if I take off running right now and nobody else is running, will that even, what will that look like? Can't nobody in this room heal you. Nobody in this room can give you a miracle. So when I bring God my praise, I bring it for him alone. I am not hemmed in nor moved. I am not excited nor intimidated by any person I've ever met because I've not met anybody yet who's got enough glory on them to make me think they are my God. And I hadn't met anybody yet who had enough power to keep God from moving. So if God is the only one who can give me my answer, then I'm going to lean into him. I'm going to act like I believe him. I'm going to be unseemly. David said, if you thought I was bad before, you watch me in a few minutes. I'm going to mess my own reputation up. You've got to make a decision what you're going after. Because thinking about people, <laughs> ain't nobody but God who can give you what God can give you. Oh, and he's worth it all. He's worth it all. I'm going to leave you with this. Two things. What does the word worship mean? In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, there are two words that come up for worship. There is the word oboda and shakar. Oboda means labor, work, service to God. The word worship literally means half the times the word worship comes up, it comes up oboda. And oboda literally means work for God. It means everything I do for God, he calls it worship. So when I feed the homeless, God said, if you did it for me, that's worship. When I give somebody money and they didn't have money to pay their rent, God said, that's worship for me. When I love somebody who's unlovable, God says, that's worship. It's not just the singing and the lifting of the hands. God said, everything you do for me. When it's hard and you didn't want to do it, when you yielded yourself and said, God, I'll do it for you. God said, I call that worship. That's worship. Everything you do for God. And shaka, I love this word. It means to bow, to prostrate oneself, to lay humbly down. There's only two words that come up for worship in the old covenant. One is whatever you do for God is work. And the other is lay yourself down low. He says until you lay yourself down, 
It ain't worship. Bow down low. Humble yourself. Give your whole life down to him. Lay out before him. Stop fighting anybody. Stop proving yourself. Stop defending yourself. As Albie Pearson would always say, go low. Go low. When you go low, that's worship. When you don't need to defend yourself, go low. Stop thinking you've got to wear your armor all the time. I got to defend myself from people. Everybody's out to get me and everybody wants to take my place. No, you think too much of yourself. Go low. Go low. Go low. Don't nobody like me. Go low. Then let them not like you, but keep loving God. Go low. Well, I just feel like I need to defend myself. No, you don't need to defend yourself. You need to go low. God said he'll call it worship if you go low. Go low. Bow down. Give yourself as an offering. In the New Testament, I love these two words that come up for worship. Latruo, latruo. It means servitude. I love this definition. The state of a hired slave or laborer. Ah. He says worship in the new covenant is when Paul says, I am a willing bondservant. He says your worship is when you become a willing slave. There's two words that come up. There's another we're going to touch on, proskuneo. But the first one is he says, I'm a willing slave. See, it's just like in the Old Testament when we see la, la turu, and now we see abora. Those two things connect. What does it mean? One says, I'll be a servant, whatever I do for God. The other says, I'll be a willing slave. He says, your worship is perfected when you become a willing servant, a willing slave. I could do anything, but I choose to do your will. I could set my own path, but I choose to let you set mine. Because my greatest form of worship is not that I worship you in the life I chose. My greatest form of worship is I let you pick my life. And then I walk in it. And if you pick stuff I don't like, the beautiful worship I give you is I will serve you in a place I call ugly until it pleases you. I will serve you in a place that breaks my heart until it beautifies your name. I will serve you right in the middle of the pain of not knowing what's coming next until I hear your voice again, but I will serve you here. That is the beauty of this worship. He says the most beautiful worship is I become a slave on purpose. That I could do something else. But here I choose to give you worship. I choose right here. I choose not to leave. I choose not to fight. I choose right here. If you could take this cup from me. It's okay, but nevertheless, nevertheless, that was the beauty of Jesus' worship. At the moment, he won the victory. I need to say this. Jesus won the victory before Calvary. He won our victory on Calvary. He won his victory in the garden. 
When he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. When he became a living example of worship, when he made himself an altar of sacrifice, when he chose at that moment, when he could have called 12 legions of angels to fight for him, but he kept his mouth shut and he went like a lamb to the slaughter for my behalf in the garden. He conquered the devil on the cross. He conquered sin for me, but he conquered the enemy in the garden for himself and every one of us has a garden you have to go through where you must choose to live your life according to his will or you spend your life calling for the angels of God to fight stuff that God said if you would die once you would live in victory the rest of your life or you can fight this fight every year over and over again. Some of us have been fighting the same stuff every year because we won't die in the garden. And we keep visiting the pain of transition because we won't die to our own will. God said one good death is better than 10 bad lives. Just die one good time. Just get in the garden and die. Living worship. Proskuneo means to bow down low, to humble yourself. He said, I will restore again the tabernacle of David. I believe the Lord is restoring to us in this hour a generation of people whose hearts are fully committed to him, who want nothing else than to serve the Lord in the beauty of holiness, to know what it is to carry his presence and to see his glory flow, to walk with thick oil upon you, that you leave a footstep and an impression in the lives of those who meet you. Because his presence is so mighty upon you that they do not hear you, but they hear him when you talk. They do not remember you, but they remember an encounter with God after you leave. That they have been impressed by the very power of heaven. What would it be like if we just go so low before him that when he lays his hand upon us, there is nothing left but him. Nothing left but him. Oh, this is our prayer. This is our cry. To be a people that he dwells among, that the thickness of him would change lives forever. This is what he will see. God is going to see in this nation a people rise up who are so full of his presence and power that they cannot be intimidated, that they will not live in the complications of religion and man's praise, but they will live in the fullness of the power of God, that they will walk without compromise in the beauty of the Christ-like life, in the glory of a Holy Spirit-led encounter, in the truth of the word of God revealed. And we will see lives transformed. Not because anyone wants to be famous. We are so going beyond anybody needing a name. Amen. 
we are moving into the place where names are so unimportant. It doesn't matter who gets credit. Let's just get the job done. Can we please get beyond this foolishness? And he's calling us. He's calling us. In this room, in this place, he is calling some of you and you know it because over the last few weeks, your whole life has been disturbed by the very presence of God. He has been stirring you on the inside. He has been stirring you to go deeper to the place that every time you think about him, tears are flowing down your cheeks and you cannot explain it. That every time you begin to worship him, his presence comes over you and you feel like lightning running through every fiber of your being and you don't know who to talk to about it because it's taking you so much deeper than you've been before and you're going, Lord, what do I do with this? But don't stop. Whatever you do, don't stop. He is calling us to a deeper place and I don't know who I'm talking to, but there are a few in this room that God has been pulling you into the deeper. He's been pulling you into the greater. He's been pulling you into thick oil and the season has come where the Lord is saying let go of the ropes that have constrained you to people of the past and old mindsets and come out into the deep waters of encounters with God Almighty come out into the rivers of encounter come out into the place of his presence he is calling us into the place where we will be walking encounters of the glory of God He's calling us. He is calling us. And I refuse to stop at the shore when there are oceans ahead of me. I refuse to live in little waters when he's called you to dwell in deep places. I refuse to live on other people's stories when you've got books to write yourself. This is the hour and season where the Lord is saying, come into the deep again. Come into the deep. And he will do what he has promised. Oh, yes, Lord. <laughs> yeah. He's a mighty God. There is no limit in him. There is no limit. <laughs> He is a limitless God. Your life in him is limitless. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. The wonderful one. Jesus.